welcome to the Screen Scene Society podcast. I'm Sabrina Furminger, and who are you? Why, I'd be Christian Sloan. Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) So, Screen Scene Society podcast. This is a podcast where people who work in the film industry watch a film together and then immediately podcast about it. If this sounds like deja vu, that's probably because we released our first episode in March, and then, well, then COVID happened. But then, Tenet opened in select theaters, and Christian Sloan was not going to let that happen without reconvening the Screen Scene Society to talk all about it. Christian, why did you want to see Tenet? Well, Tenet has been billed as the savior of cinema. It's Christopher Nolan's latest opus. Uh, The trailers have been very bewitching and beguiling, and uh, I was very hungry to see it. I have a real appreciation for Christopher Nolan's work. I don't think he's, like, my favorite filmmaker. Yeah. uh, But he is an incredible filmmaker nonetheless. Yeah. And, of course, the media's been talking about this movie. Will this movie save cinema? As we all know, cinema's been in a... A very rough place the last six months. A little bit. Yes. Yeah, as people who work in the film industry, we have we have felt this uh, very deeply. So I did not go to see Tenet with you and your lovely humans who went with you. <laughs> um, I'm terrified of COVID, and I'm still keeping my indoor activities to a minimum. So please, who watched this film with you? Tell us. Well, today we... Uh, was, we call this a very special COVID-related episode of the Screen Scene Society. <laughs> uh, we also sort of refer to it as a bit of a reboot because, as Sabrina said, this has been... Uh, uh, we had this incredible idea. We got very excited. We got very passionate. We were we, so excited. We lined up six months <laughs> of films that we were going to see. We have our guest list that uh, maybe some of you were on. Very excited <laughs> to dive in. And then the end of the world happened. So... One of the reasons I'm excited to bring this very special COVID-related episode of Screen Scene Society back is I'm bringing in some of my best friends. Uh, It's very special to me because this group of people is my film-going brotherhood, and in some ways, my inspiration for the Screen Scene Society. let me dive in. First off, we've got uh, Preston Vanderslice. That's a great name, by the way. Is it not? (laughs) He's a great name, phenomenal human being. Uh, he's an actor born in Texas. He just uh, moved here and got his Canadian citizenship. He's from Texas? He's from Texas. Preston Vanderslass from Texas? That's right. Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> Hi, Preston. Uh, hey, Preston. <laughs> he's been a very busy man. He's been working consistently here in Vancouver, Arrow, Supernatural, and the like. And he's also an ongoing series regular on Bud on Hallmark's Mystery 101. Oh. Yeah, also joining us, we have Garrett Black, another Vancouver-based actor. Who's another been, great name. Oh, I know. Love it. <laughs> Uh, all real birth names, yeah. by the way. These are all our real That's names. That's amazing. And actually, your, your third guest as well. But please, yes, tell us continue. about your friend. Yeah. Uh, Garrett Black uh, has worked a bunch on Hallmark and Lifetime Features, as well as the popular shows like iZombie and the big old X-Files reboot. Mm-hmm. Right now, he's got an arc on the CW's Riverdale. And he's not dead yet. So we're expecting <laughs> to see even not more like of Not like your character. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah, yeah. Let me. I got to work with some of the best people on Riverdale as a corpse. Yeah, it was magical. Some of some of my best work people might say. Uh, Finally, uh, we've got Jameson Parker. He was an incredible actor and an incredible musician. 
But now he's changed his hat and he's very busy as a producer and director of development at Bright Light Pictures. Uh, currently, he's got Julian the Phantoms dropping on Netflix on September 10th. Yes, he does. Oh, and I recommend everybody search out his superb love letter to 80s horror, Summer of 84. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah, he was a producer on there. It's so much fun. The score is phenomenal. I'm a big sucker for sense. I mean, I've been a fan of um, of Jameson since the, like, the PSI days. Like, all, all of that all of that work, that body of work. Like, yep. I also, I'm very aware of his, uh, his sense of humor yes. and his musicality Yes, definitely. Well, I'm excited to have him here. So that's why this is a very special society. If I want to give a little background, actually, uh, me, Jameson, and Garrett all met on Even Lambs Have Teeth, which was a Terry Miles uh, feature, incredibly low budget, but has an incredible cast. Uh, Jameson, uh, Garrett, uh, Tira Scovby, uh, Greg March is in there, Michael Carl Richards, giving you guys all a shout out. But it's wow. a fun, fun slasher movie that kind of turns conventions on its head. I had a blast working on it. And as a matter of fact, working with Terry on that led to the black tapes for any listeners out there who are fans. Yes, that's Dr. Strand who's telling you that right now. Uh, that's amazing. How, sorry, I know that we're here to talk about Tenet in interviews, <laughs> but I re, if I want to really watch this film, where do I find it? You can actually find it right now on Amazon Prime. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, okay. and I think it's in the States as well. Okay, so. great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have had a chance to listen to this episode, and Excellent. I love it. Um, do you want to give us any spoilers about uh, what this episode has in store? Well, we uh, definitely dive into lots of the aspects. We do really talk about uh, whether this film is indeed the savior of cinema, as it's been built in the media, and we dive into this film itself. Uh, we also talk about our own personal experiences going back to the movies after six months in lockdown. Uh, for us and for a lot of you, going to the theater is a bit like going to church. It's a quiet place where you can shut off your mind and escape and live another life for a moment and so we talk a lot about what it was like what's what's it like walking back into the theater hearing that rumble of the bass and seeing mm. that big silver screen offer way more than what you can get at, t at home on tv yeah and of course i would be remiss in saying sabrina firmager was sorely missed in this episode she is going to be in all subsequent episodes we of course wanted to be sure and safe uh, with COVID right now and so we moved ahead with this very special episode because we knew we were in our bubble and we could play it relatively safe we went to an 11:30 matinee so I don't we're not encouraging anyone I do want to cover this space we're not encouraging anyone out there to rush to the theater we don't want to wish that upon anyone but I did want to send my love to Sabrina that you she was sorely missed in this episode and I can't wait to jump back on that horse with her and get our little banter flying once again thanks for saying that and I didn't make you say that. No, not at all. <laughs> it's written down right here. You say, oh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm very excited about this episode. I can't wait to share it with you. So why don't we jump right in? Yeah, let's, let's not wait any longer. Let's do it. <laughs> here we go. The reboot of Screen Scene Society. Reboot. As we see into tenets, I mean, we're dying on the vine with content. I've been watching some Netflix movies. I've been watching some you know, less than top tier film. And uh, it's been really interesting to sort of see how we're slowly but surely like running out of content. Um, shall we dive right into Tenet? Let's... Okay, well, yes, because can I just say as like, as a segue to this, that like, I think that pre-COVID, like pre-quarantine, I mean, we've been to, I don't know, 
countless movies together, and we all kind of grew I'm up. Started. We've been to 106 movies together. Really? <laughs> 106. <laughs> I was like, whoa, Mark, every time you go to the theater, I mark the wall. <laughs> But like, Thanks, Garrett. Yeah, I, I just took it for granted. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, like, going to the movies, it's just a normal thing. But to see a movie in the theater that was meant for the theatrical experience, again, after, let's say, like, six months of seeing yeah. nothing. And, yeah. that, and I think we did also watch, like, the perfect movie. It's like a, a 10 out of 10. This is a theatrical movie experience yeah. movie. Yeah in the theater to be back in there and like, I don't know, so I was sitting beside Garrett. Garrett and I were pods together because it was only like 18 people in there. But like, I was just like vibrating with the, like the, the, the score and every bullet hit. It was just like, whoa, okay, this is watching a movie. And I think that it's just like, what a perspective to not go and not be allowed to go. And then to see this film, mm. like, can I swear on your podcast? Yeah, I swear away. <laughs> Holy fuck. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. We were talking about this um, walking down here, but, and not to be like, oh, that the, the glass is half empty, but I did miss like people. Like it felt so empty in there. And that's one of my, I mean, yeah, see it on the big screen, and this movie was for sure made for the big screen, but weird. To only see it with like 18 other people. And it was massive. nice to stretch my legs out. That's true. I wish mean, <laughs> there were people around me, but not in front of me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I got to say too, like being in the theater and having that, it was Hans Zimmer, right? That uh, Hans Zimmer that did his Hans? score on this. Oh, so. no, no, it wasn't Hans Zimmer. It was Ludwig Johannesson. Ludwig Johannesson. Was it? Yeah. That, that score was insane. Yeah. And to hear like that, like just that, you, you know, when you yeah. got a sound system at home, sure, it's great, but you got neighbors, you're worried about this, like to be in that and like just to have it almost overwhelm you. Like I felt overwhelmed by sound, but in a beautiful way. Like it made me emotional. Oh, so good. It was like, it was emotional to be back in a theater after like, six months of not being, I don't know. I just, I, it was, it's not like it was going to the theater. It was just, it was getting boring. It was just like a thing that I did before. Yeah. And I don't think I really stopped and took stock of like the difference between being forced to watch. Cause I, I, I actually literally kept track of everything I watched during quarantine. And <laughs> yes, I watched nine, I've watched 90 movies between when we shut down, we couldn't go to the theaters and today. I think this was like the 91st one. Oh my yeah, this God. Was oh my the 91st God. movie. But so to watch 90 films, and this, not to mention binging Downton Abbey that Preston forced down my throat. But to like do that. And then, it was awesome. It was so good. Like, Got you through that. Oh my quarantine. God. Downton Abbey, like. Guys, watch, watch, watch Downton Abbey. Downton. Is crossover with Tenant in Downton Abbey? Did <laughs> <laughs> anybody in Downton Abbey, were, were they in Tenant at all? Do you guys see any of that? I don't know. I don't know Downton Abbey. So. Wait, so there were no, there no were no. Crossover? Oh, Garrett, how about you, man? How was your, how was it rolling into you? Did you feel any trepidation? Were you like, okay, this is weird. I mean, I will say trepidation. Like, yeah, like going into any sort of space enclosed is definitely like, you know, you, you we take pause. Um, I was masked the whole time, you know, like it, it, that's an interesting experience. But like, I felt like, 
connected to the people on screen because they were also masked a hell of a lot in this movie. I, so it's kind of like, oh, this is a good, uh, you know, I'm masked, they're masked, we're all in this together. Um, so yeah, I know, but I definitely, huh? That opening scene when there was a huge crowd, oh, I was, I, I audibly was like, oh my God, look at all the people. Scandalous. <laughs> yeah. How are they so close to one another? What the? There's a lot of that for sure. Like, yeah. And like, but the movie is so like, oh, yeah. and then you're there the whole time. You're like, okay, I'm with you. So there's yeah. a lot of like, you just drop and you're in. So yeah. Yeah. It, it, it definitely influenced, but I think it like it also like as a as an experience to watch a movie in this time. It's kind of the perfect movie to see post kind of like things opening up. So yeah, well, I will give I'll give uh, our Cineplex Scotiabank downtown Vancouver a shout out because it did feel incredibly controlled, incredibly safe. Yeah. Um, I do have to say that in some ways, if you're not a people lover, it felt incredibly refreshing to be in there and I mean don't get me wrong I love people but but it but it did feel like you had your space no one was kicking your chair nobody was talking nobody's looking at their phone like only people that are at the theater right now are the diehards yeah like you gotta love film if you're gonna go see a movie right now I feel like I'm willing to die to see Nolan (laughs) I'm willing to risk life and limb to see but it was like Huh. I, I just want to know, I want to know what the metrics of this are. Like how, the economics, can, the economics do not make sense. No, For the, There was, how many people were in there? 40, maybe out of like maybe. 150, maybe 30. Oh, f- and no, how many people bought popcorn? Like nobody. 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 Yeah. You, we, none of us it did. Like, yeah, I know. There was like, I saw a couple like pods of people that did have treats and stuff, but no. Maybe like they sold five. You know, I don't even think there are 40 people on there. I think there are like 25. Yeah, like maybe. 25 maybe. Like the whole first four rows, nobody is in there. And then there was like, like, yeah, like, I mean, this, like I said, I'll get, I'll applaud them, but I don't know how this movie makes any money. What was, do we, uh, do we know oh, what the budget God. was on this? Let me, uh, a lot, a couple of millions of dollars. dollars. I'm just gonna take a take a little peek if IMDb has it uh, listed on here, but I just don't know how you can make a a return on this. Yeah, two hundred and five million dollars. Yeah, is the uh, is the listed budget on this? So, I mean, we're we're in uncharted territory here. Like, how are you possibly going to turn a profit? But I guess I mean this is the other thing too. We're very lucky to be up here in Canada right now and able to see this film. Right, like right now. Almost nobody in the U.S. The U.S. can go see the new mutants, so. <laughs> which is the funniest thing that they like. I love, I love that they took the opportunity to be like, "Hey, this movie that fucking sucks that we know <laughs> and we've just been waiting and delaying for years. Yeah, let's put it out during a pandemic, both to like people will love it because it's the first thing they've seen, but also let's just sweep it under. Oh, yeah. oh it didn't make enough money because of COVID. You're like, yeah. you, new <laughs> you can pad that bottom line and be like, oh, whoops. Yeah, there are 46 <laughs> seats per theater wow. in the AVX. So there's 46 that I just looked it up. Wow. So, so that's six. it. And they were also- Possible, what, 300, 250? Like what's- yeah, Probably like two. Yeah, easily. It's a big theater. It's a big theater. Wow. Yeah. 250, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. More, probably more like 300, because that wasn't even, you know, one sixth full. That that's felt. True. That, actually, that's true. I bet it's like, yeah, it. 
Wait, yeah. couldn't be more than 50. And we were and we were sold out, right, Jameson? You you went online to check, and uh, our our showing was sold out. And so, forty and were and were the tickets any more expensive than normal? Seventeen bucks a ticket. No, it's like an AVX ticket. Yeah. So we're only selling, let's say, one tenth. Well, it's probably not fourth. Let's say they're selling like one eighth of the normal amount of tickets, yeah. and I, and nobody's buying popcorn because they don't want to like handle it no yeah. i just don't understand i mean i just don't understand how the metrics work it's, you know? it's a wing and a prayer i honestly think like you know it's a i mean that's that's a question before we'll get to the movie i promise but this was something i did want to discuss like um let's start with garrett do you think this is the death knell for theaters do you think we will have it swing back in a big way or is it going to sort of become like the horse versus the car where people still go see films here and there, but you know, the, the, the days of grossing a billion dollars in a theater are over. Do we all get to answer this question? Yeah, we're all, we're all going to, we're all, we'll, we'll round table yeah. this one. Yeah. I, okay. If I'm starting, I don't think the days of major huge grosses are necessarily gone. Um, I think if you have a movie like tenant and you release it, it's almost like we're not expecting this movie to, gross insane amounts of money in the first four weekends we're expecting maybe the maybe this movie specifically can have a re have a release period in the theater that's months long so that people can eventually just start showing up i think also sort of return to the 80s when movies just legged out for yeah. like a year exactly exactly like titanic or something where it's just it's all it's still there so let's we might as well at this point um, I think to a certain degree that that's going to be what happens with like these big, big budget ones. They'll make them even more, uh, event kind of experiences where, um, and I think the fever too, like the idea that a movie can sell out now with 50 seats creates even a greater impetus for more showings and maybe, maybe more, more like just, yeah, like just more people eventually will, will kind of tr trickle back. Things will change, no doubt. And I think that like, the, the just the mindset of like walking into a space and sitting down in a movie theater is, is it, it, it's adjusting and it's it, for me it adjusted and, and I, like I, I felt more comfortable um like by the end of the experience um certainly in the space and um but that's that's a that's a mental thing too in a way you know like just kind of you know and and the idea that there is safety there like it used to be for me a safe place going to the movies. Very safe. No, no, no sort of like, you know, and, and there, of course, across state lines, there are different in country lines, there are different versions of what safe feels like, but here in Canada and Vancouver specifically, it was a very safe place. And now there's kind of like this silent thing, but it's just hovering there, you know, the idea. So, so you think, you think it'll, we'll, we'll see a return to normalcy. You don't think it'll, the business will have to shift necessarily start charging 60 bucks a ticket to. Well, maybe I think there'll be, that, that will be an, there will be an opportunity there. Maybe like VIP or something. There may be an opportunity there to kind of max out the experience where it's like you're in a bubble completely. And maybe it's just a lot of it's the, the you know, like, are, are, do we feel safe? Does an audience feel safe? Well, here's, a, here's an add-on question I want to throw out there, too. Do you think 3D movies are done? Because who wants to put on those goggles that other people have been wearing for two hours? Are they properly sanitized? Like, do you think the 3D craze? Yeah, they all come in bags, right? They're no, they in individual bags. So I, I hope 3D movies are done. What <laughs> <laughs> seems Cameron's Avatar 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. Are you talking about Avatar before the I movie? Can, I don't need to see it. I yeah. can take or leave Avatar. I never, Avatar is a garbage story that there's nothing special. <laughs> 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 right. 
Tell us how you really feel. It's a good story. It's a necessary story, but we've seen, it was not, there was nothing original about the story. No. About and the story. The thing is that I would way rather see a small, great story, <clears throat> i.e. day trippers, than like the spectacle of a Marvel movie in 3D. I, or like Avatar, because I was like, I don't understand. When Avatar came out, I was like, I don't get it. What's the hype? It's not a good movie. But back to your question. So here, the, so what about a month next year? You're, you're not. We're <laughs> <laughs> going in the order next year. Uh, at the beginning of August, the Paramount decrees were repealed by the Supreme mm. Court yeah, that's, of that's the United it. States. So that means that that paves the way for um, any uh, studio to. to be able to own a theater. Right. right. So those were passed in like the late 40s uh, as basically it's, a, it's an anti-competition law. But because there is protection in other parts of now the U.S. law that they've they can repeal those. So what I think we're going to start to see is like what Garrett's talking about. If there's going to be movies that are just meant for like events, think Marvel, Star Wars, like whatever Disney's doing. Disney, Maybe big musicals start to come back in a, in a way. We're kind of already there, though. Like the mid-budget movie was has been done. Well, totally. <laughs> but they're going to come out like Disney's going to own their own theater. So right. what you're going to go in, you're going to see the movie, and you're going to fucking exit through the gift shop, and the kid, that's <laughs> where they're going to be. But, like, oh. that's the thing. You're going to – and the kid is, you know, Moana 3 and the new uh, Disney character, the new Disney princess. Your kid is going to walk by and want as they walk out, and you're going to spend $50 on it. Yeah. So it's become a bigger, it's going to become like a ride and then you're going to see like indie cinemas kind of start to come back I think where like there's the, like people the like us draft house becomes its own niche 100% like it's like a draft house that has a really good um, business model where it's like a fun event but for like film nerds like us and then everything else is going to go to like premium VOD or it's going to go straight to a streaming service that's built specifically for MGM has like Warner has HBO Max and Apple's going to have their stuff and Disney's got Disney like they're just going to be like oh yeah um, this mid budget movie we're making specifically for Disney Plus because we spent 70 million on Hamilton and made just Mickey Mouse fuckloads of money off of it like so many subscribers based just on that and all they had to do was make I mean Hamilton is a, a very unique example, but they also just put out Newsies onto that that um, that platform. Like they can One have of your favorite movies, movies, Jameson, as I understand it. I love Newsies. <laughs> My home, K K L. Yeah, I think, I, but think? I, we're gonna own. Like you're gonna see these studios and even Netflix owning their own theaters yeah. and creating those events. Like their marketing teams are gonna do that and create those events for you. Yeah. That, Preston, what do you think? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, I think it'll be interesting. I don't think they're, they're dead for good. I think similar to restaurants, what are the next uh, like 12 to 18 months look like? I'm not really sure. Again, I don't understand the economics of what we just experienced today at all. <laughs> um, so like subsidies are gonna have to happen or they just, kind of die and then yeah and then we see the Disney theater and we see the Paramount theater and, and whatnot but you know also like restaurants I think that this pandemic has um, 
like we miss human interaction. As I was saying, I kind of, I miss the theater full of people, you know, and that's one of the reasons I liked going to theater even before the pandemic was just like this experience of seeing something with like 300 other people where we're just glued to the same screen is, is a special, I think. Um, but yeah, I think we're all jonesing for that. And I think there's still a market for that. And then the economics, once there is a vaccine, will totally make sense for there still to be movies. I mean, we like, we've been, the mid-budget movie has been dying for a minute in the theater. Yeah, and, um, pretty dead. With like with everything that we've seen, like trolls, um, with uh, and it's gonna be interesting Mulan. to see what happens with Mulan next week. Yeah, next week, like with all of these new avenues of distribution, and like I get it that like Chappic is like, oh, we're only gonna do it one time, like it's a special thing. But no, as no soon way. as you, as soon as they make a like fucking a hundred million dollars in that first weekend they are going to be like oh why would i ever put this into a movie theater you know and why do we and why do we need to share our profits when we can 100 same with the the trolls thing like which are both kids movies and i you know i think about my sister and getting her boys out the door to go see toy story 3 in the theater is like yeah. a hard thing to do. I yeah. think it's easier. Disney, it, it makes sense, or uh, Trolls was not. Trolls is universal. DreamWorks, okay. Yeah. It's like, yeah, just throw it up, VOD, charge $30 for it, and I guarantee you a stressed out mother, father of even one kid, let alone maybe three, or like, yes, okay, we'll buy it. Here but even $30 is cheaper than it's, you know. Oh, oh, it's totally cheaper. Like these guys, with their kids, would have to get a babysitter, right. then get their food. Oh, you know, yeah. 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 No. And more convenient, ultimately. That's just all. Yeah. Convenience yeah. of it is key with children. <laughs> especially, especially with kids who want to watch something over and over again. Like that Mulan $30 charge, you're like, if it's going to be perfect for your kids and they're going to want to watch it again and again and again, Daddy, then great. It's there for you. For 30 bucks, is that the deal? It's a rental. It's a rental. The $30 well, no, it's, rental. I, I, what it is, actually, is you... If you're, you have to be a Disney Plus subscriber to get access yeah. to it. Uh, you pay 30 bucks, and then for as long as you're subscribed to Disney, you can watch it. Oh, is that the case? Yeah. I thought it was just that rental. No, it's uh, right, right now, it's, you'll have access as long as you're a Disney Plus subscriber, you can always have access. As soon as your Disney Plus subscription goes away, then your access to Mulan also goes away. That's okay, I'm never gonna cancel mine. But that, all that being said, like I'm all of this like- the world Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which what? is all that being said, we are. Let's go back to Tenet. It's like <laughs> Tenet is a theater, that is a theatrical movie, which I think is the perfect example right now yes. of like what, what we've been missing watching movies. Yeah. I think it's the longest time I was thinking about it. Like since I was a kid, I don't know if I've ever gone more than six months of than not being in a theater. So it may be the longest time in like my my movie theater experience uh, lifetime that I've not, that I've gone in between seeing a movie in the theater. So yeah, I, it was saw, Pulp, I saw Pulp Fiction in the theater. So I've gone one other time during COVID, mm-hmm. but it is not. And like, obviously great movie seen it before. So it's a little bit different, but it is not the same experience because it wasn't designed like this was. Oh, for, yeah. I guess it was, but it's like, and it's an older film what I'm trying to say is this is like a theatrical movie for now. Like it yeah. is a big, so you can watch, I can watch Pulp Fiction at home and it's almost the same experience. I think it's a better experience mm-hmm. in the theater, but if I had watched Tenet for the first time at home, it would not even be close. No. no. Nolan makes those movies. He That's makes it. big event theatrical films. That's yeah. why 
we get it's excited. Also, for his movie. Yeah, and it's almost like it's part of the life of the of the movie too. Like your experience seeing a movie that is Christopher Nolan's in a theater, and then seeing it on a like a smaller screen at home or with friends or whatever. That's like you have a life with that movie. Like you've you've yeah. lived it already on the big screen, and now you're living it again. Kind of picking out details now in in your own kind of more personal private spaces. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's like, I gotta give props to Nolan for uh, sticking to his guns. You know, like nobody, there would be maybe five or six other directors that could have held on this tight saying, no, I want my film to be in theaters. You know, like at some point with quarters and stuff, someone's gonna wanna recoup their money. So I, I gotta give him a big thumbs up for demanding that this film be seen in theaters. Um, how good was John David Washington? Oh my God, so good. And patents, yeah. and they were all yeah, totally. Yeah, everybody, everybody. This was great. And I love they just called him Sir Michael. So yeah, I think it's <laughs> Sir Michael. I, although I could have, I could have like taken or left Kenneth Branagh. And really, that's yeah. a Branagh fan. I'm a. I like. I yeah. like him. I think he's great. Yeah, I was just like bad guy. Yeah, in in a movie that felt like it was, it's an elevated movie, yeah. and I'm like, oh, he's like a Bond villain. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It's written that way. But I also, for me, he brought me a bit of comfort, which is weird because he's like the bad guy. I was like, oh, it's Kenneth Branagh. And he's like <laughs> delivering stuff so well. And he's so good at what he's doing. And I was just, I was comforted by his presence, which I don't think really was the intention. I just, I, I was like. He <laughs> <laughs> was supposed to put you on edge, Garrett. Not I, like, yeah. <laughs> some might argue it's the opposite of what Nolan was going yeah. to it's <laughs> like a big old bear hug from a daddy, you know. Well, well I it's like Dunkirk and like Hamlet. He's just like he's so good. The guy's so good. Well, as we do at Screen Scene Society, um, we did. I did ask you guys sort of try try and avoid any reviews or any kind of media. I mean, you're going to see a headline here and a headline there. I did see a headline that was sort of like uh, speaking about how Christopher Nolan has been chasing uh, making the Spy Who Loved Me for years and years like you know he sort of loves that roger moore era bond film you know and that this movie definitely has that kind of feel like i would actually argue that tenet if you go back to some of those early bond films i remember as a kid watching those movies and feeling like they had a real coldness to them like there was a ruthlessness and a coldness uh to some of the uh just the the very feel of the movie and i would argue too like with this film we're going to eventually dive into spoilers if we can. I mean, this film's plot is so impenetrable that I don't even know that we could, I think, I feel like we could discuss this plot in great detail and you could still walk into we this movie and be like, and forwards. This might confuse me further. Like, I don't know if talking about the plot is a good idea yeah. at all. I, wanna, I also want to stress too, like one of the, one of the key tenets, of, uh, of uh, see what I did there? Of Screen Scene Society is, it's really about sort of a first impression. So I wanna stress, you know, if you're coming to this after you've watched the movie three times, you know, we're still kind of re reeling from this experience. I certainly am. Like I'm sort you know, little bits come to me and I'm like, oh, that was clever. Oh, you know, and this is really one of those movies I feel like you can unpack for years to come and look for those details and those little sneaks and those, you know. Like the crux of the movie is he gives in two lines and they're kind of muted and muffled. Like oh. the reason why it's all happening is like, it's, it's two lines and then he doesn't even mention it again. 
They're like, why would, and and it's the, it's the biggest question I had through it. I'm like, why would anybody, can I, so what's the deal with spoilers? You should say it. I want to, let's, let's do a, let's do like a, like a, a a few minutes of overview about like maybe the score. Let's talk about our general opinions of how we feel about the film, um, how we feel about performances, uh, overall direction, and maybe where it sort of stands in, um, uh, Nolan's uh, pantheon of films, um, and then let's maybe dive into a little more nitpicky about stuff too, because I do sort of. Uh, have yes, I does, I does. Oh, yeah. okay. so, so what I was let's let's maybe I mean one of the things that stuck out for me the most is the score for sure, and I definitely feel like Nolan continued. He sort of had this trend, and people I've heard people discuss it before with uh, Dark Knight Rises. It was hard to hear some of Tom Hardy's dialogue. Yeah, and, uh, I, I recently rewatched in, uh, Interstellar to come to this film, and there was definitely like there's moments where you're like straining to like hear what the actors are saying because he overlays that you know that the score is almost you know I, uh, well, it's more important to Nolan than even telling us about the story or the plot, right? Like his the score is designed to make you feel something much more than the lines of dialogue or the beats yeah. of the story, I feel like, you know? Like, what were your impressions of the score? I, sorry, I thought it was Zimmer because it sort of has that bombastic, huge, you know, overwhelming. I think, I, I mean, was there a moment of quiet in this film at all? Oh, yeah. There was a moment when he fell up. Oh. I'm a, <laughs> there is one moment of quiet that's used really effectively. Yeah. Where I literally, I think the whole, everybody was silent and the music cut out and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it was like right at the end of the movie. So, you know, when he, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 How, do you, how do you guys feel about the score? What did you think? Oh, it's like, it's next level. The guy, the, the, Ludwig Johansson is next level. I mean, what he did for The Mandalorian blew oh. my mind. So oh, same dude from Mandalorian. Yeah, I, yeah, I love like, that score. Because like Garrett always has Garrett's always like knows he knows composers. his composers. Every time we see a movie, yeah. he's just like, oh, and Travis Scott laying down like the tra- the end like the credit track, which is so like diverse and extensive, like in terms of sound and where that song goes. Like he, it's yeah, but no. it captures the movie quite well. Like after seeing that movie, that Travis oh, Scott track is is like. Well, it's like, yeah, like he's creating music for a mastered, like super heady filmmaker. And to be able to do that, like, it's like, this is the single for the movie. It's like, okay, wow, you managed to capture this, like, confounding feeling of, a, of what this movie is and what the plot is and where the, where the characters end up going. How do you, how do you guys... Can we pause for a second? Yeah. Just, not the whole thing. I just want actually... Did you know that Fiona Dorif from... I, I looked that after, after. Who was she? She's like, you worked with her on. Dude, I know. I saw her, I saw her post on it. Cause I, I got to know her on uh, Dirk Gently quite a bit. And she was the, she's the coolest. Like she is the bomb. And I, I, I saw her name in the end credits. It was like, what? And then Aaron Taylor Johnson is in this film. Yeah. He's and I'm like, I saw his name in the credits. Yeah. I saw his name in the credits and was like, who was he? And then I finally put two and two together, but at no point watching him play that character, did I, did it ever dawn on me? That was Aaron Taylor Johnson. Garrett, I was like, yo, that's Aaron Taylor Johnson. Also Himesh Patel is in this movie. It was great. Who, from yesterday. And he was awesome. And he was awesome. Yeah. Anyways, sorry. Continue about composers, but that just for I was like, how did you not say something? You worked with her. Yeah. In- I don't know who she was though. Like it, I, the movie has that 
It said cast by order of appearance. And so she was like right at the end of the cast list. Like she comes just after Aaron Taylor Johnson. So she must be part of the crew. She's the girl who gives. Yeah, the mat. You're right. That's it. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 So. Also, the score was red. Like just feeling <laughs> that you like feel that score. Like yeah. dropping. Like, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the beginning, like the opening scene, it sets the like the same kind of tone that the beginning of the Dark Knight did. And the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Yeah. Like with the oh, plane, at the Dark Knight Rises. So spoilers for Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> Yeah, Preston, how did you feel? How do you feel about like his, that score almost being more important than the actor's dialogue? Do you feel? Um, you know, how would you feel as an actor? Let me put it this way. How would you feel as an actor being like, I'm in a Nolan film and then your dialogue is almost completely drowned out by the score? There was some dialogue that was hard to hear more like it's speaking through the mask, mm. you know, and that being like, it had to be believable because obviously it's not going to sound clear if they're speaking through a mask, but it was also like, I can't totally understand what he's saying. Uh, that has nothing to do with the score. But, you know, I mean, I, there was a moment about 20, 30 minutes in where I was like, whoa, this movie is, like, heavily scored, and it's telling me, like, this is an important moment. And, I mean, I think a score can be effective, and eventually I did settle into it, and, and it, I think it served its purpose. But by, I don't know yet. I mean, part of me thinks it was almost overscored. It was – it's overwhelming. Yeah. It's, it's like very, very heavily scored. Because – it's almost like sequences are like they designed huge sequences that are meant to give you that feeling of just like you're on a fucking insane ride and right. you're in it with them in very personal, intense kind of spaces. But like, it's like intense, so fucking intense. And so that score was so like, it drove it. It ramped the tension up constantly. Yeah. God, it was so good. <laughs> I liked it. I liked it. But I'm like, I will say that, for a very confusing Nolan movie for something that like you have to like work for a oh, little yeah. bit. Like, yeah. I don't think you have to work for it as much as Inception. Uh, I will give him that. I think that he bounced it better than like, yeah. and I left feeling that I had been taken on the ride and wasn't like the spinning top. Like I left feeling a little more satisfied at the end of this than I did of, of Inception. He definitely, um, definitely buttons the story in a much nicer way than maybe. Question, tight sidebar. Did Dunkirk have a score? Yeah, yeah. and so, yeah, it did. It did? Yeah, it's, that's a good question. That movie was so stripped down. It's certainly the most stripped down Nolan movie that I, know I what see. You're saying, I know you're saying that though, because I was like, wasn't there a movie that you're that just- Yeah, that didn't have no a score. score. I thought Dunkirk didn't. You might be right. I do remember oh, it was that. Hans Zimmer. Oh, it was Hans, Hans it Zimmer. Was boy, Hans. Okay, never mind. Yeah. Yeah. Hans Zimmer. But I don't, uh, I was gonna say, how do you, I always find as well, like I do feel like everyone in the film was uniformly excellent, but I also find, like, I mean, obviously I feel like any of us would jump at a chance to be in a Nolan film, you know? But in terms of, (laughs) yeah, please. I mean, if I'm gonna be thrown against like, you know, like some of those guys that are in the military stuff and they're just day after day going through insane set pieces. That'd be, that'd be next level acting work. Like, yeah. you know, like if you're doing the, like the stunts on a movie like this would be like, that's peak, I think. Listen, I, I would, I would have a, Bicky is so good in this movie. Yeah. Like he feels, it's funny that you like, because I'm watching the movie and there was this moment where I was like, 
oh, this is, it kind of feels like a Bond film. Like I, I legitimately yeah. had that thought. So for you to bring that up and say that he's been chasing um, the spy who loved me or whichever one, yeah, spy who loved me is that? I'm pretty she, sure that was the one, yeah. She feels like a better version of a Bond girl. Yeah. Like a Daniel Craig era Bond girls. Yeah. Even like look, um, Ursula Andress and everybody from that kind of like early pantheon of, of, of Bond characters uh, until they kind of got sticky. Um, are, they have their own like uh, their own allure to them um, and like their, their own thing that I, I love about those Bond girls. But like this grounded kind of spy love interest not love interest kind of thing like it's just it was so well done i'm just like she's here to stay oh for no. sure yeah oh, yeah widows for me it was widows i was like who is this person but amazing I, I think that uh, that he struck an interesting chord of like i mean because i'm just thinking like you have bond you have british bond and you have american jason Bourne, right and 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 I would put him somewhere in the middle. Like he yeah. was able to carve out his own performance. There were some moments of humor in there, which you get, you get some humor Bond, not the new ones, but it's a different type of humor. Um, th this was like, these were just good exchanges and good writing and, and he sold it. And Pattinson was super funny in it too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's the thing is like, it's, it's, it's a very different style of acting. I feel like too, like there's nothing, there's no showboaty, there's no, big emotional beats like i feel like everything there's just a cold clinical thing you know rana was like chewing yeah, the rana, fucking rana scene there was some power there for sure but i would argue i would argue that he wasn't necessarily chewing the scenery so much as he was just working harder than everybody else like everybody else was a that very muted where he has the things lined up and he like yeah. hit her. i was like kenneth kenneth <laughs> <laughs> What? What are you happening? thinking? But it's very, it is very Shakespearean, you know, and and he does, and that's not to say that's not taking anything away from him. Like he does get away with it, but it was big. It was big. It was big compared to everybody else in the film who were like very, very understated. Like this, you know, like when I think it was just funny. I was juxtaposing it in my mind with uh, Back to the Future. Because when you look at a movie like Back to the Future, it sort of has this time thing too, right? But everything's character, everything's heart, everything's like, we care so deeply about Marty, we care so deeply about his mom, and, and you know, we have this big dramatic like attachment to it. Whereas at no point did I necessarily like, uh, you know what I mean? Like I was never like necessarily 100% rooting uh, for the protagonist as he's called in the film. like. There was a clinical quality, and I find that with most of Nolan's film, with, for me, the notable exception of uh, Interstellar. Like, Interstellar, and, and I just want to bring this up, too, because I'm curious about how you guys feel about Nolan's oeuvre as well, right? But for me, like, Interstellar, I think, for myself, is his most successful movie. Um, I know people sort of uh, mock it because it has some heart and stuff like that as well. Like, you know what I mean? Like the love is the thing that sort of transcends just as much as gravity does and things like that. But rewatching it recently, past all the hype, five years out, my wife hadn't seen it and she was in. And like, I was like moved, like moved to tears in that film. Like mm -hmm. McConaughey is such a great anchor in that film and I'm so empathetic with him and I'm so compassionate uh, about his plight and when he's trapped in the fifth dimension and dealing with the library stuff like my heart's breaking for him and his little girl and I think I also feel like it's funny watching Interstellar now as a parent versus watching it back in 2014 when I didn't have a kid like it's a it was a different experience like I sort of 
felt much more engaged with Interstellar because of the way he was trying to reach his kid and how important his kid was to him and all those kind of things. I'm curious to know, like, where does this movie stand for you guys? Like, like I found Dunkirk was uh, technically a phenomenal film, but did I, I didn't feel like there was any one performance in there where I was like, wow, in that performance. And, and same, I feel like a lot of what Nolan does, he's not that concerned about getting you to care about the characters. Like, did you guys find yourselves caring about the protagonist? Did you find yourselves caring about Elizabeth Debicki? Like, I cared about the kid, <laughs> Max. It's all about the kid. Are you talking about Interstellar or are you talking about... Uh, no, like Tenant. Oh, and Tenet. Yeah. The kid. It's all about the kid. Everyone's fighting over the kid. And it's like, you know, that's, I'm sorry if spoilers there, but like, I can't, that, that's where the sand, that's like the heart of it, right? Because she's all about that. Now. We're in spoiler territory now. You we have to be, but yeah. yeah. Well, well, let's, I feel like we're not, yeah, we're not diving too deep, but again, I feel like this movie would be hard to spoil, but I will say for our listeners oh, yeah, uh, yeah. that from here on in, well, I think we're going to start diving a little more into the plot and things yeah, like it that. It was crazy when Harry Potter showed up. <laughs> <laughs> When he did that Patronum spell and the stake that crossover. Who knew that crossover was happening? That crossover. J.K. Rowling needs some kind of money. <laughs> but I, do, I am curious, before we get too deep into the plot of Tenet, like, how do you guys, how do you guys feel? How does, how does this movie rate for you on that Nolan scale of from, like, Prestige and Memento through the Dark Knight trilogy? I'm not going to say it was my, uh, well, I don't know yet. I'm not sure if it's my favorite Curse Nolan movie. I actually like Dunkirk a whole lot. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, when we came out, I think the first thing I said to Garrett and James was like, that is the most Nolan movie of his that I the felt most, so Nolan. The most Same Nolan that like, Nolan does like, ever like, like Grand Budapest Hotel is, is, Wes, is so Wes Anderson. You know what I mean? Like it's the culmination of everything. It's the best Wes Anderson movie. It's very good. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, starting with like Memento, you know, and his fascination with time. and Was, it mem- uh, was Memento before Insomnia? Yeah. Yeah, Memento was. The, he didn't. He didn't write the song. He had one before Memento, I thought, but Memento put him on the, on the on the block, as we were. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought it was very, very Chris Nolan and like what he's into and like the crazy high concept. But but, but yes, I do think it was slightly more understandable than um, uh, Inception, which was just like over my head. But I mean, I agree with you uh christian i do think that his characters can sometimes be a little cold or that's they, I, i've never like been moved i should go back and rewatch watch cellar but i've never been moved to tears in a christian Nolan movie uh yeah it, it ranks pretty high up there for me like dark knight yeah dark knight and prestige are probably my two favorite chris nolan movies yeah. and yeah. tenet is like right is right up there for me too like i don't know yeah inception is a fun movie and it was a big event. I think that like, I don't know. Like it's just, it was just frustrating. It's just like, it was a little like, okay, you're working really hard, you know? And I think we talked about that like right after the film, but like Prestige. I love Prestige. Prestige is so good, like Dark Knight. So, and Memento, like phenomenal. I'm a huge Insomnia fan. Like that's an insane movie. That's such a good movie. It's like such a a guilty pleasure for me. I like going back to that movie a lot. (laughs) They have one movie before that called Following, which I actually haven't seen. I've never seen it either. First movie. I haven't seen it. No. I wonder if it's one. We should just go ahead and end this podcast now. We're all going to go watch Following. (laughs) 
Pause. We'll go see. We'll go watch following. Yeah. All right. Um. Would you? I mean, it's. Would you say to people definitely go see this movie in the theater? Do you feel like it's worth breaking uh, quarantine for? I mean, I obviously. I think if you feel comfortable going to the movie theater now, and then you should experience it in the theater. And That's I've actually told two people that. <laughs> they're like, holy fuck, it's good. Put your life on the line for this movie. You know what? <laughs> yeah. That's what I said. Die for Nolan. That was that was Preston saying that. That wasn't us. No, we weren't recommended. No. <laughs> He's user, not the views of the Screen Scene Society. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a great cinematic experience. It's just to be seen in the theater, as we've already said. Yeah. yeah. If you um, feel comfortable. Yeah. Garrett, what do you think? Would you uh, tell people to go see it in the theater? Um, I think I would, I would, I would, I, I thought it was great. Um, I thought that the film was like exceptionally told and an insane display of like military and aircraft, like physics and like the dynamic quality of mm, time travel is always fascinating, but I can't fully wholeheartedly say to everybody out there going to this movie because I think that this movie asked me a lot like it asked a lot of me it asked me to like pay attention and to 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 not only have like a just a decent understanding of like physics and how time travel has existed in all movies prior and but it also just like the the scientific realities of what time travel looks like now and it, it asked me to have an understanding of all that um because I think understanding where the movie goes and how it gets there, you're either trying to figure out the whole way through, like, oh, I get it, I get it, I still get it. Like, that's what I found myself doing, was that after a certain point, I was like, I think I understand how, what this movie is. And then it was like, we still have a whole third of the movie. And I'm like, now I'm completely, I don't, like, I get what happened. I understand where the characters went and how everybody got there, but I don't fully understand the physics and the, the science behind it. And I want to, because everybody told me about it the whole movie. They kept telling me what was happening and how it was happening. And I was like, why can't I understand? No one feels smart when they leave a Nolan movie. No, that's the thing. I felt like I was like, damn it. About that halfway through, I'm like, no. well, Nolan and Joan and his brother, also a fucking right. genius. Right. Like those Nolan boys, like yeah. you just, nobody plays Very their cerebral. game. Very cerebral. Very cerebral. Yeah. And, like, yeah. But with pain, and they also, like you said, Garrett, like they take real pains to go through and figure out what that battle scene in forward and reverse yeah, looks which is insane that shit that was crazy. Was, <laughs> it's crazy like doing the fight for like in one direction and then doing it backwards but then flipping it and like it just oh, I that too yeah that too the war oh, scene though like yeah. yeah i'm like what the this so I, I don't know. I felt like he did a really good, like everything was, I was going like, what about this? He paid it off yeah. eventually. Yeah. And um, he tied up every loose, actually he, he kind of made a point of saying tying up loose ends, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah As you come to the end of that movie, but he tied everything up neatly. And I don't, I'm an idiot. So I don't have a very great understanding of physics <laughs> or like time travel through the years, but they did a pretty good job of holding my hand. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
I would agree. Well, I would, I would, yeah, I would argue because it's in some ways uh, an almost impenetrable movie. Like I would say that you really do need to be ready for an experience and you have to be ready to be focused or else like, I mean, there were certain, at certain points I'm like, like my brain was like working overtime trying to put this together and like almost second guessing them. I'm like, does this, does this work with this? And then, I, you know, I'd have moments in the theater where I was like, I'm just going to trust these guys because they thought this movie through That's way longer than I have. Like, I'm sitting here on first viewing being like, well, but what about this? And what about this? But, you know, like, I, I found myself being like, having to like relax and be like, okay, trust the, the storytellers. Trust that they're going to like give me all the information as it goes on. I mean, this is, and, and, and coming from this angle as well, how do you guys feel Let's say we were in a, uh, uh, say COVID never happened. Do you think that this movie, because I mean, I feel like, I feel like now this movie is not going to make a bunch of dough, but how are we going, like, how, do you think this movie would have been a smash hit? Do you think this movie would have been a, you know, a billion dollar earner? Yeah. Like, do you I think general? A billion, but yeah, of course, man. I mean, all of his movies are. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would have. I think it would have been a huge summer movie. I think people would have gone to the movies to get their mind blown. Um, I will say, though, it, it's the first of his that, like, it doesn't, it's not star-powered. Like, these are massive household names. Like, that well, was the thing that really worked for Inception was, like, Leo, Tom, yeah. Joseph. Robert Pattinson's pretty much up there now, I would say. Pattinson is. That's and they kept telling us that we live in Twilight World. Because my, I, my parents do not know Robert Pattinson. Yeah. And the, like, it's not like, it's not like the kids who grew up on Twilight are the ones that are like, he's, well, I guess they are actually, they're us. We, guys, we live in a Twilight World. There's no friends at dusk. That's what Nolan kept telling us. And I'm uh, oh, yeah. telling us that Robert Pattinson who is in Twilight. <laughs> like, I was like, there's these funny. correlations and these connections. I'm like, I guess we're living in a Twilight world. Yeah. He, I just think that, like, Pattinson's not, he's not a Leo. He's not, he, although after Batman, he might be. But I think after Batman, he will be. And I mean, I, I love the choices that oh, he made. Up, man. That's cool shit. I mean, I think Robert Pattinson oh, has bounced back from, like, absolutely. a really terrible series of movies in Twilight, which made him so much money, but has done really cool shit. Good time. Like, yeah. Just that's Lighthouse. Awesome. He is oh. pipped. Like, uh, nobody impresses me more in the last four to five years than Robert yeah. Pattinson. Yeah. Because yeah. 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 it could have been a death sentence. It could have been. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I would argue I would argue those movies made as much money as they did because Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson are two extremely talented people uh, who probably who carried those movies on their backs. You know what I mean? Like, I think those movies became... In those, like, you can get trapped in those films, and he's just like, he made the fact that he went and made Good Time with the Safdie brothers, yeah. like before everybody knew how fucking great the Safdie brothers were, he was like, oh yeah, this movie's kind of cool, and that fucking rocketed him back into the cool sector of Hollywood, and now everybody wants him. Well, and he, he pulled out like a pretty great play uh, as far as like I carry cachet so I can work with people like the Stacky Brothers and yeah. get them really greenlit and get money, get them money rather. You that, know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, but... Mm, as opposed I, to trying to... Like, no, no, but like, I mean, as opposed to trying to like chip away, yeah, but like he wasn't, at that point, he was not a greenlightable name. Like, no. I don't think that I wouldn't have put Pattinson up there 
So they, what did they make that movie for? Two million bucks? He, I think they made it for five. two mil. His name? You don't think so? No. Really? No. No. I mean, now, yeah. But then, him at that point in his career, now, no. Like the foreign sale, like we're gonna go down a rabbit hole here. But the foreign sales <laughs> is just so fucked, and it's like it's so based on. Yeah. It's a million yeah, different things. No, I don't. No, I don't think. Like maybe they pulled. They pulled that movie together in, in somehow. I think. Fuck is the guy's name? Bear or something? He's the producer of it. Um, anyways, His I just think it was so a massive Robert Pattinson fan. Huge Robert. <laughs> But he, but, he, but he did choose that wacky yeah, script, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I and you're right. Like he did, he, he did have enough star power that somebody was like, he was on, you know, he was on the list because of that. And instead of trying to like, oh, I'm gonna, I only work with big directors. Right. He's like, I'm gonna try these guys out. They're kind of cool. Play. Smart play. Like well, it's, I it's, give you so much credit. He spoke in an interview. He'd been doing these movies and kind of toiling away. And uh, he called his agent and was like, why is nobody offering me anything anymore? And they're like, well, they just, nobody thinks you want to do these films anymore. He's like, well, I do. I do want to do these movies. And that was, he, he started campaigning. And that's how this movie came about. That's how the Batman came about. Because he was like, started pushing out there. Now, personally, I've been a big fan. He sent those scripts from his agent. <laughs> I've been a big fan of Pattinson since he bit me on the neck. So, oh, you see, how I, see how I worked that in there? Yeah, baby. Uh, that's right. Can you guys say that you've been bitten by the Batman? I don't think so. Look, this one time I ran into Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, don't spill the tea. He's, he's coming back in October. Maybe, maybe we want to get some of that action. By Val Kilmer. That was the Batman. <laughs> okay, no, if Michael Keaton, oh man, he's my favorite Batman. And don't at me about this. He's the best Batman. Oh, we're gonna go down. A, we're gonna go down a Batman rabbit hole. Oh, buddy, we're gonna go uh -oh. all the way. Well, let's. Uh, anything? Anything you guys want to speak to specific wise? Like, I do think that. I mean, this movie was mostly plot, minimal character. Um, I do think uh, it moved really fast. Yeah. It did move really fast. And I do feel like, I do feel, I don't I mean, personally, like I loved it. I think, I mean, it's top five. I feel like it's something you have to digest, but it for sure is one of my top five Nolan picks for sure. Like, I think, like it's, it's a puzzle box. This film is a puzzle box and you really need to go in with like a laser focus. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you go see this movie without being like a laser focused on what's happening, you know? It's, yeah, uh, it's like a I think it's one or the other. I think you're either along for the ride and you're just like, whatever, or you're like, what is actually happening? Yeah. Like, you know, or and like, how is this all working? It's not as hard as Inception. No. No that going in. It's yeah. hard, but not that. It, it, will, it will treat you well. Yeah. It'll yeah. treat you better than Inception treated you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's basically, okay, here's my, here's my pitch. You want it's Chinatown with oh, the yeah. time. Because that's the thing, just the two lines that they give you. And I was like, why would the people in the future want to kill the people in the past? I thought it was nuclear power. You're, you're thinking of water. They're like, we've used up all of our water and all of our resources in the future. So we're going to, because of the grandfather paradox, kill all those people off. The water will stay and the resources will stay. And then we'll have more food and stuff. I'm like... Well, yeah, if we're gonna talk, if we're gonna talk detail about the script too, that's my question because he clearly shows 
beat by beat, and we're in full spoiler, spoiler territory. He clearly shows that the, there isn't really free will. Like at one point, uh, um, the protagonist asks, you know, is, is there free will? And she's like, you made the choice to put your hand out to, to catch the bullet or whatever, right? Yeah. But, but, you know, he, at the end of the film, he really sort of shows each puzzle piece falling into place. The girl jumping off the boat is, in fact, um, the female lead. Um, you know, like all, you know, who she thought was another woman jumping off the boat to escape, you know, and, and when she came back to the boat, he wasn't there. All these pieces, like, you but know. Pattinson, like, went, he did show some free will and went back into the mine at the very end of the movie and was like, um, to, to basically sacrifice himself. Like, yeah, he like he, is that what that is though? What's yeah, that? He's like, yeah, because yeah, he, he dies, right? He Remember dies. when he he's like, he's in, yeah, he's in, you see the backpack thing and then he, Red string and the, oh, okay. yeah. Oh, interesting. So that's well, cause he, cause that's he, he unlocked the door, the shot in the head, that's yeah. who unlocked the door was Pattinson. And then he runs away. Yeah, I, I connected that. I just didn't. I, I didn't. Um, I didn't arrive at the conclusion that that was him dead. Now, yeah, like, yeah same, that's same, that's there's so many versions of him showing up in different parallel. Like, and even what they explain at the end about how, like, this is the beginning for your journey. This is maybe the end of our friendship. But although he says, because he says he's like, he's, he's like, he says it's time to go through for another pass, and so mm -hmm. he's basically going to walk back through the machine, roll back in time. And go there and like unlock the door and get. And then and John David Washington is now now that he knows everything, he's the one who goes gets the idea for the temporal pincher and then goes back and sets it all in motion. Where he actually sends Pattinson back, right? Pattinson's the one. But why does Pattinson have to go back at the very end? Because he's the only person that is aware of that. If he doesn't go down. He won't be able to open it. Yeah. The thing out. Yeah. He's the only one that knows of that moment that needs that that are trapped and he needs to like break so them he up. He has to be down there. Uh, and and he says he says to Aaron Taylor Johnson, he's like, nobody else could unlock that door. He's like, I don't know a better safe cracker. Yeah, lock, yeah. Lock. So he's like the only person who could pick that lock. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's it's funny. It's like it's almost uh, you know that it's got a Merlin vibe, right? Let that living that living backwards. I mean, it's tough to. I will say that he handled it with grace because this would be an incredible. It's an incredibly difficult concept. Like I love how they sort of speak to the, how humanity can't even really. We're, we're so trapped in our forward linear uh, life that the idea that something can be inverted and can live backwards, you know, like him trying to drive the car inverted and stuff like that, like. I love all those moments, but he's going to, you know, he's going to move forward in time and become the master of sending everyone back in time. Like, you know, yeah, I loved it. And I thought there was some really nice, the Pattinson did a really good job in, in, uh, with John David as well. Like sort of, you know what I mean? Like even at the start, it's subtle, but you can tell there's little rela relationship cues as you go on that you can tell they've been great friends. Do you know what I mean? Like he's sort of backing off things. The first, it's the first time they've met, but it's not really the first time they've met, right? It's cool. Pattinson, and if, like, I, that's why I want to go back and rewatch because you do watch those scenes, like I'm rethinking about the ones where they're just like, they're the walk-in talks. They have three or four of them. And yeah. you, there is something in Pattinson's performance. More comfortability like, or something. Yeah. There, yeah. Fuck, it's good, man. Pattinson is such a good actor. Yeah. He's such a good actor. Mm -hmm. 
Even though yeah, obviously, cinematography was phenomenal. I mean, this was born to see on the screen. So nice too, like no CG, like dude, like I would be hard pressed to pick out any CG in this film. Like everything felt, apparently like uh, Nolan's went on record saying like, I have used minimal CG. Everything we've shot has been, you know, practical. There's just like little cleanups and things like that. But there was one piece that I heard, two pieces that I think I caught. One was like the big, the double explosion at in the battle scene that was forward and backwards. There was a big piece that came off that was very obviously a vis effect. And that right there, my friends, is the end of this episode of Screen Scene Society. I want to give a big shout out to our guests, Jameson Parker, Garrett Black, and Preston Vanderslice. I want to give a big thank you to our editor, Simon Firmager, and to Dane DeVilliers for the original music. You can find us on all the socials at Screen Scene Society and online at ScreenScenesociety.com. The Screen Scene Society podcast is hosted and executive produced by Sabrina Firmager and Christian Sloan. The Scene Scene Society podcast is a production of Fish Flight Entertainment's YVR Screen Scene. And with that, this meeting of the Screen Scene Society is officially adjourned.